Chapter Thirty Six of the Scalp Hunters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan. The Scalp Hunters by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Thirty Six. Navajo. It was near evening of the next day when we arrived at the foot of the Sierra. At the debouchure of the canyon, we could not follow the stream any further, as there was no path by the channel. It would be necessary to pass over the ridge that formed the southern jaw of the chasm. There was a plain trail among scrubby pines, and following our guide, we commenced riding up the mountain. After ascending for an hour or so by a fearful road along the very brink of the precipice, we climbed the crest of the ridge and looked eastward. We had reached the gold of our journey. The town of the Navajos was before us. Voila, mira Pueblo, thar's the town. Hurrah, were the exclamations that broke from the hunters. Oh, God, at last it is, murmured Sanguin, with a singular expression of countenance. Oh, God be praised. Halt, comrades, halt. Our reins were tightened, and we sat on our weary horses, looking over the plain. A magnificent panorama, magnificent under any circumstances, lay before us, but its interest was heightened by the peculiar circumstances under which we viewed it. We were looking at the western extremity of an oblong valley, looking up at lengthwise. Not a valley, though so-called in the language of Spanish America, but a plain walled in on all sides by mountains. It's elliptical in form the diameter of a foci be ten or twelve miles in length at shortest distances five or six miles it has the surface of a green meadow and it's perfectly level and is unbroken by brake bush or hillock it looks like some quiet lake transformed into an emerald it's bisected by a line of silvery brightness that curves gracefully through its whole extent marking the windings of a crystal stream but the mountains what wild-looking mountains, particularly those on the north side of the valley. They're granite upheaves. Nature must have been warred at the birth of these. The very sight of them suggests the throes of a troubled planet. Huge rocks hang over, only half resting upon fearful precipices. Vast boulders that seem as though the touch of a feather would cause them to topple down. Grim chasms opened into deep, dark defiles that lie silent and solemn and frowning. Here and there, stunted trees, the cedar and the pinion, hang horizontally out, clinging along the cliffs. The unsightly limbs of the cactus and the gloomy foliage of the creosote bush grew together in seams on the rocks, heightened their character of ruggedness and gloom. Such is the southern barrier of the valley. Look upon the northern Sierra, here is a contrast, a new geology. Not a rock of granite meets the eye, but there are other piled as high and glistening with the whiteness of snow. These are mountains of milky quartz. They exhibit a variety of peaks, naked and shining, crags that hang over deep, treeless ravines, and needle-sharp summits aspiring to the sky. They, too, have their vegetation a vegetation that suggests the ideas of the desert and desolation. 
the two sierras appear to converge at the eastern end of the valley we are on the transverse ridge that shuts in upon the west and and from this point we view the picture where the valley ends eastwardly we perceive a dark background lying against the mountains we know it is a pine forest but we are at too great a distance to distinguish the trees out of this forest the stream appears to issue and upon its banks near the border of the woods we perceive a collection of strange pyramidal structures their houses it's the town of the navajo our eyes were directed upon it with eager gaze we could trace the outlines of the houses though they stood nearly ten miles distance they suggested images of a strange architecture there were some standing apart from the rest with terraced roofs and we could see there were banners waving over them one larger than the rest presented the appearance of a temple it was out in the open plain and by the glass we could detect numerous forms clustered upon its top the forms of human beings there were others upon the roofs and parapets of the smaller houses and many more moving up the plains near us driving before them flocks of animals mules and mustangs some were down upon the banks of the river and others we could see plunging about in the water several droves of horses whose mottled flanks showed their breed were quietly browsing on the open prairie flocks of wild swans geese and winged their way up and down the meandering current of the stream the sun was setting the mountains tinged with an ambered colored light and the quartz rose crystal sparkled on the peaks of the southern sierra it was a scene of silent beauty how long thought i ere its silence would be broken by the sounds of ravage and ruin we remained for some time gazing upon the valley without anyone uttering his thoughts it was the silence that precedes resolve in the minds of my comrades there were varied emotions at play varied in kind as they differed in intensity some were holy men sat straining their eyes over the long reach of the meadow thinking or fancying that in the distance they might distinguish a love object a wife a sister a daughter or, or perhaps the object of a still dearer and deeper affection no the last could not be none could have been more deeply affected than he who was seeking for his child a father's love was the strongest passion there alas there were other emotions in the bosoms of those around me passions dark and sinful fierce looks were bent upon the town some of these betokened fierce feelings of revenge others indicated the desire of plunder and others still spoke fiendlike of murder there have been mutterings of this from day to day as we journeyed men disappointed in their golden dreams had been heard to talk about the price of scalps by a command from sanguine the hunters drew back among the trees and entered into a hurried council how was the town to be taken we could not approach it in the open light the inhabitants would see us before we could ride up and make their escape to the forest beyond this would defeat the whole purpose of our expedition could not a party get around to the eastern end of the valley and prevent this not through the plain itself for the mountains rested upon its surface without either foothills or paths along their side in some places vast cliffs rose to the height of a thousand feet stepping directly upon the level plain this idea was given up 
Could we not turn the southern Sierra and come in through the forest itself? This would bring us closer to the houses under cover. The guide was questioned and answered in the affirmative, but that could only be accomplished by making a detour of nearly fifty miles. We had no time for such a journey, and the thought was abandoned. The town, then, must be approached at night. This was the only plan practical, at least, the most likely to succeed. It was adopted. It was not Sanguine's intention to make a night attack, but only to surround the buildings, keeping at some distance out, and remain in ambush until the morning. All retreat would be thus cut off, and we should make sure of taking our captives under the light of day. The men threw themselves to the ground, and, holding their bridles, waited the going down of the sun. End of chapter 36 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan